0: This podcast is not sponsored by and does not reflect the views of the institutions that employ us. It is solely our thoughts and ideas based upon our professional training and study of the past.
1: Welcome to Talking Texas History, the podcast that explores Texas history before and beyond the Alamo. Not only will we talk Texas history, we'll visit with folks who teach it, write it, support it, and with some who've made it. And, of course, all of us who live it and love it. I'm Scott Sosby. And I'm Gene Preuss. And this is Talking Texas History. Okay, welcome back to another edition of Talking Texas History. I'm Gene Preuss, along with Scott Sosby. Now, last time we were here, uh, we started talking about our list of the best books on mostly 20th century Texas history topics. So we only got about three quarters of the way through, but we still have a lot of time left and a lot of discussion left. You got to understand that academic historians in our training in graduate school, we spend years sitting around talking about books. So maybe that's why we can do it so well. So, Let's get back to our discussion on mostly 20th century Texas history books. All right, so I'm going to move into uh, an, somebody who we know well, somebody who has written a, a lot of books on Texas history and influential books and, in fact, just came out recently with a uh, a, 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 a great comprehensive textbook on, or a comprehensive book on the progressive era, and that's Greg Cantrell. And Cantrell, in part of his dissertation, he published with what used to be called, um, was it Wiley Publications? What was the name of Mm -hmm. that? uh
0: I think that's right. I think it's Wiley Publications, that that little press that did the uh, kind of
1: yeah a little family publication yeah. uh, and they got subsumed by another by a conglomerate recently but uh this is called feeding the wolf this was part of his dissertation it's the story of john rayner and politics and the politics of race so feeding the wolf john b rayner and the politics of race 1850 to 1918 uh, that book you know it was a guy's dissertation and i read that book i laughed i cried (laughs) it was well written you know it 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 was uh, um it's also one of the most depressing books i've ever read simply because of what happens to this guy it's you know the promise of reconstruction held out to african americans that they could participate you're a citizen now you get to participate and Rayner was one of those people, although he was he had a a, a plantation owning father who was also active in politics, um, and born to a slave mother or a former enslaved mother, uh, and you know he gets involved in politics. He's in Texas. Uh, he's up there uh, a little bit further north, between Houston and Nacogdoches, and um, he gets involved in politics and becomes very active in the populist movement, which for a moment uh, did seem like it was going to bridge that gap between race. and ultimately, uh, people's prejudices and racial animosities, and I think probably uh, pains over the loss of the Civil War, the lost cause, uh, gave way and that coalition fell apart. And Rainer, uh and his family ended up moving to chicago um and i'm about to carry the story a little bit further Uh, but feeding the wolf is a great book on late 19th century texas politics post-civil war the reconstruction period the populist and early progressive period and i don't know uh if people know this i brought this up to greg and and uh he said that he had mentioned something in his uh in the longer dissertation about this But John B. Rayner, you know, his story ends in Texas, but he and his sons, they move to Chicago and they get involved uh, doing what they had actually done in Texas as a living. And that was uh, undertaking. And in Chicago, the Rayner's funeral home would become known in the 1950s because in 1954, a young Uh, African-American man from Chicago went down to Mississippi and whistled at a white woman, as the story goes, and was brutally lynched and murdered. And his name was Emmett Till. And the Rainers were the funeral home that uh, took care of the body and that uh, his mother, Mamie Till, uh, asked to make an open casket uh, so that all the world could see. And now that is in the movies. Uh, and uh, people are learning, relearning about that. So it's a story that um, that that has a strong Texas connection. Uh, and I, I think that it's uh, a great read and relevant today.
0: I agree. And uh, that it, it's such a well-written book. Greg's, Greg's a great writer. Uh, and well, you know, there's certain people that we read and we go, I wish I could write like that. Greg's one of those. And Absolutely. all the books he's put out, he says these things. I will, of course, mention when we get around, to, we will do our 19th century uh, podcast on 19th century books sometime. And I have Greg's newest book that uh, includes some of his Rainer research, his book on mm-hmm. the larger populist movement, the People's Revolt, uh, on, on that list. But yeah, this good, you know, Rainer was great. You know, Calvert, he grew up in Calvert where that was such a, God, it was such a terribly racist place. And you're right. This is the promise of populism. And then later even progressivism was one of those times when African-Americans were, oh, this is finally, the worm's finally going to turn. We're finally going to get, uh, you, know, what, you know, what we've been striving for. And then, like, you know, Lucy pulling the football out under Charlie Brown once again. Uh, it yeah, all that's right. And never that's a good analogy. Reach. Yeah, You know, I, the title of another book that might be on our list in the 19th century on Reconstruction, one of my favorite books in Reconstruction, James Smallwood's title of his book on that time of hope time of despair that just encapsulates it perfectly Uh of what it was like for african-americans so no well gee for my fourth book i'm going to go to one that uh figured prominently when i was writing my master's thesis and still uh, it's another work written in 1979 uh but it stands up and it still it, it continues to explain the evolution of Texas politics, all the characters, all of the, uh, political ideology and policy decisions made in this book, George Norris greens, the establishment in Texas politics, the primitive years, 1938 to 1957, all of those things in that book, we can say, Hey, I see that. I still see that. And I see a parallel to guys right now today. And it, It explains the whole direction of Texas politics and how it goes to this reactionary, very right wing, very anti labor, very, of course, white supremacy. And the whole campaign to make sure that same, why he calls it the establishment, he could have called it the white establishment, I think would have worked just fine, but their ruthlessness and making sure that they hold on to power. And, and, and George does it. A, a, a confession, when I started writing my master's thesis, which is on Texas politics, the liberal conservatives put in the Democratic Party during the same period, I was I read Green's book and I was somewhat not as educated. And I said, OK, there's got to be more to it, to this. And maybe he's being far, maybe too far left in making his uh, uh suppositions on this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to revise George Green's work. And that's what I'm going to do. So I begin to research. I'm beginning to do it. And you know what I found out? Can't George Green was exactly right. He hit yeah. a nail on the head. I mean, you can't revise that because he's entirely accurate. There is no revision there. All you can do is add on it. Uh, and, uh, mine was a much lesser work. It didn't add on anything, but it's a master's thesis. What are you going to do? This is a great book. I think this. If you want to understand how Texas politics got to where it is, even in the 21st century, read George Green's "The Establishment: in Texas Politics."
1: You know that's a that's an excellent point you bring out, and uh, because I had that same thought uh, when I was working in my on my dissertation, is that uh, I, I, maybe it was uh, our mentor Don Walker who said somebody needs to revise. He did. That's why I set up that to do book. What I did. Yeah. And um, but when you when you get to read it, and and uh, you know, uh, George Green, uh, bless his heart, is he was spot on, and and every time I look at that, and have people read it, it's hard to disagree. I remember, uh, re- reading um, oh, who was the uh, who was the the dean of Southern history? Uh, C. Van Wardwood. I remember reading C. Van Woodward's uh, biographical series of essays, and he said that was one of the things about his own work was that he always wanted to see, and and I think all historians do this: is want to see somebody challenge the work, not in a mean way, but certainly take it, expand upon it, and broaden it, and, and maybe make corrections. But to be that interested that they, and to be that relevant that they, they keep your work in mind. I don't see much room to expand or to change on what Green did. And that is kind of uh, amazing when you think about it, that his work has that staying power. It really does. I mean, it,
0: what it does, it makes it a seminal work, doesn't it? And when we call yeah. it, this is the seminal work, it's because, I mean, we say, you mentioned C. Van Woodward. Can you improve on the mind of the South? Really? I mean, when Woodward wrote that, what, the 30s? Yeah, It still stands up. up. George's book still stands up and still explains it. And as we go back to what he said, also about George is a nice guy, too. So he deserves mention for that as well.
1: All right, Scott. My final book uh, is not really a history book, but it was written by an academic. And that, and this is a book that's always out of print. It's William A Owens this stubborn soil and this, William A Owens grew up in far northern northeastern Texas up around in Lamar County a little mm-hmm. t- little community he calls Penhook that's what it was named and I say a little that's what it was called there were a lot of communities called Penhook in Texas these little small unincorporated towns but this was in in far northeastern Texas Went to uh, what's now A and Commerce. Went to Paris Junior College. Uh, ends up graduating from Southern Methodist University uh, in 1932. So he's really riding on the early first part of the the 20th century uh, when Deep East Texas was Deep East Texas. And uh, that book it's a it's an autobiography. And man, I laughed, I cried, I mean, I, I've empathized, and I knew people like that. Uh, it reminded me of, of talking to my dad and some of the stories about growing up in rural Central Texas. It is a fantastic read, uh, and it just covers him until he goes off to Southern Methodist University, right? It's like first twenty years of his life, but it is a fantastic story. And I tell you, Don Walker is the one who set me, he says, you need to really read this book. And I eventually found a copy and got around to reading it. And it was uh, one of the best history books that wasn't really a history book that I've ever read.
0: I I agree. That's a great book. Uh, One, if you're going to include it on just general books of all kinds that some Texans should read, that has great consideration. It's one of those that you read it and you say, man, isn't it a miracle that you escape something like this? And you also begin to think why well, a lot of people didn't escape that upbringing, that existence. Uh Great title, too. I mean, can you come up with a better title for a book? I mean... Just that title is going to be good. So yes, I, I agree. What a fantastic book!
1: Yeah, well, well just about get... the 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 feudalty, almost the feudalty it seemed of trying to be a farmer up exactly. in some of those small towns. Right? Is that the yeah. the soil was going to work against you?
0: It was the soil worked against you. The system worked against you. You know, uh, the whole
1: agricultural ladder worked against you. It was it was awful. So, Watch and, and one of the things. Th- one other thing, let me. Uh, interrupt you. One other thing about Owens is that he went on to to, to teach English, but he was a great writer. Uh, his book on the Amistad was the basis yeah, well, for well, the um, movie the
0: Iron Orchard. The Iron Orchard is
1: not that what it's called. Uh, the, the it's called uh, Slave Mutiny: The Revolt of the Schooner Amistad. Okay, but he and that was the basis for the part. movie that yeah, came out. Was something
0: else called Iron Orchard too. That was that was fantastic. It was kind of on the same lines. It's,
1: well and he also is the one who kind of put uh check, Doby, and Webb together. You know, there's a yeah. monument in Austin to them, but yeah. the the book Three Friends, yeah. uh talking about them and their influence.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. He yeah, he's an important person as well. Probably
1: someone, I guess there's you
0: know, I guess some English person might have written a dissertation on one. I don't know. We should look that up. Well, I get to my fifth book, and I know you're expecting me to come up with my fifth one of this to say it's to get a better school system that that should be the one I, just like i know you were <laughs> tempted to put lone star suburbs is your book here right uh on this but gene i'm not gonna do it I'm, I, I, it's a great book but i'm you know I, i'm sorry we're, we're limited to five if we had six maybe i'd have to put it on there you know but we're just doing five i'm gonna go one that a lot of people have heard about it's a popular trade book it's not by a historian uh got a lot of notoriety when it came out, bestseller, sold over a million copies, movie came from it, television series came from it, but it's still an important book about understanding Texas, and that's H.G. Bissinger's Friday Night Lights, A Town, a Team, and a Dream, the story of the 1985 Odessa Permian football team. Bissinger came and stayed for a whole year in Odessa, Texas, he uh, went around with the players, with the players' family, with the coaches. He wrote about them. Uh, and that, And when the book came out, everybody in Odessa was appalled because it wasn't what they thought. They thought it was going to be a glorification of their program. It's not. It is warts and all, if you will, of what it means to be completely obsessed with Texas football. And I have a certain – I was living in Midland when this book was being written and I was from Midland. So we hated Odessa. I played football at Midland Lee high school. Therefore, Odessa Permian is like evil incarnate. And so I was glad to see him being castigated but anyway, but it's like, you know, got, you know, my degrees and I got more educated. I had a person in class. One of my students asked me one time and uh, I'd assigned Friday night lights for them. So they read it and they said, let's ask you, you were around, you were there is this true? And I thought, and I said, this is the best I can say about Bissinger's book. Is it true? And my response was, a what it was was a line I learned from the movie, Paul Newman movie, Absence of Malice. Is it true? No. But it is accurate. And what I mean by that is that Bissinger wrote about everything that went on. He was accurate in everything he presented. However, some of what he castigated Odessa for and for Permian for is not actually true because he didn't understand the culture. He wasn't from Mm -hmm. Texas. He didn't understand Texas high school football. What he thought of is really weird, strange behavior where everybody in town would come to a high school football game and 30,000 people would show up to watch it. And that, to him, was just uh, I, I can't believe you would do this to, to to school kids, to to sixteen and seventeen year old kids. He didn't understand why they did. He didn't understand why it was so important to a city like Odessa to follow their high school team. But Bissinger captures a time in Texas that is important, a, a snapshot of a region, uh, Odessa, Texas, during right at during an oil boom. I said 85, it's not 85, it's 88 is when this is going on. And it's when there's been a big, huge oil boom, and then it's about to go down. And we're about to see an oil bust after that. And a lot of these kids' fathers are getting laid off. And a lot of them are working-class blue-collar kids, and football is their only avenue to actually progress. Bissinger tries to make it into a race story uh, with the story of the young man, Booby Miles, and there is mm-hmm. a lot of race stories to have in Odessa. But he didn't understand it. He kind of misfired there, too, and in, in my opinion, and how that works. Great book. But mainly I tell my students when they say, it, this is how you can understand what's going on in Texas in the 1980s. By reading Bissinger's a journalist. He's not a historian. It's sort of reportorial uh, about it also. But a great book. Well written. Uh, that's number five.
1: That is a, a, a great, great book. Uh, I remember reading it. You know, I worked in my high school, well, I worked in high school at the local radio station, and uh, we covered a lot of football, and, uh, you know, I was in Central Texas, and but the Permian Basin schools were big schools uh, up there in Midland and, and Permian Basin itself. Uh, those were big schools and big football, and, and it was important, and and you know, in my little town, football was important too. We play the games and we broadcast the games uh on the radio. And I remember when that when that book came out, he got death threats. He was persona non grata in every sense of that term, what it originally meant That's in right. Texas, right? Don't let the sun set on you here, Buzz Bissinger, uh, because they didn't want you. And then, you know, so now Pflugerville is the movie set uh the T for the TV show. Right. Yeah. And, and it's been movies, and now everybody, you know, thinks it's great. Uh, but man, when that book came out, he was hated.
0: That's true. Of course, I would say, you know, the movie Friday Night Lots with Billy Bob Thornton was not the book. It didn't really, I mean, it had the trapping to the book. He used the same names of the book. The man, it really didn't want. The television series has nothing to do with <laughs> it. Right. Right. <laughs> all they, all they really stole was the, was the title. Uh, it's really all they did. I mean, uh, what, what were they saying in that dang show? Clear heart, clear mind, can't be beaten or something like that uh, and that stuff. So, well, Gene, I think this is a good list. I like doing things like this where we talk about books. This is, I mean, we're historians. As I tell my grad students, I said, you know, we're historians. Well, we do, you know what we do? We read books and we write about books. That's what we do. If you don't like to do that, you need to find another profession. People who right.
1: love history read books, so I think this is—I I have a lot of fun doing this. We'll do another type, right? I, absolutely. What are we going to do next? We can do the 19th century. We can do the Alamo. Well, let's let's think about well, yeah, that. We we'll might to do, think, we'll think
0: about, think about, about it. We, we could also do you know non-history books. Some there's a lot of things to. Do. We'll think of. It. We'll give a thought between now and the next two weeks.
1: Sounds great. Well. Everybody, thanks for joining us again for Talking Texas History. I'm Gene Preuss. I'm Scott you. We'll everybody. see you soon. Bye-bye.